This is Ringler Radio, where you get all the latest news and information about the structured settlement industry from the experts in the know. Ringler Associates, the undisputed leader in structured settlements for more than 30 years and the only broker you need. Ringler Radio is made possible in part by the life markets that issue structured settlement annuities, including Allstate, American General Structured Settlements, The Hartford, Liberty Life, MetLife, New York Life, John Hancock, and Prudential. Now join Ringler Radio host Larry Cohen. Well, hello, everyone, and again, welcome to Ringler Radio. I'm Larry Cohen, your host and the head of Ringler Associates Northeast Operations. Well, today we're coming to you from the 2009 Ringler Annual Meeting here in sunny Newport Beach, California. And uh, having come from New England, I can tell you the weather is a lot nicer out here than it was when I left. But in case you're a first-time listener, you need to know that you can download every Ringler Radio Show from our website, ringlerassociates.com, or from the legaltalknetwork.com. Or you can even do it from iTunes, where you can download them right into your iPod and listen to them as you walk along and on the beach. That sounds good to me. Well, just a few months to go now before the new Medicare rules go into effect. The big day is July 1st, 2009, and yet there are still a lot of unanswered questions about the new regulations. So today on Ringler Radio, we're unraveling the mysteries of these new MSA regulations. And to help me do that, my co-host today is Joan Pagnano. Joan is head of the Braintree, Massachusetts Ringler office. And of course, I've known Joan for quite a while. She helped me start the Boston office way back in 19... You ready for this one? 1983, Joan. She's an expert negotiator working on a lot of different types of cases, medical malpractice, general liability, environmental, and workers' comp not only around New England, but all around the country. Welcome, Joan, to our Ringler Radio Show. You're very welcome that I'm welcome. (laughs) Thank you. And our special guest today is Peter Foley. Peter's the Vice President of Claims Administration for the American Insurance Association. It's the leading property casualty insurance trade organization located in Washington, D.C. And Peter provides advice on public policy and claims issues affecting the insurance industry at both the state and federal level. Well, Peter, welcome to Ringler Radio. Actually, welcome back to Ringler Radio. Yes, thanks. Because you were here once before, and that was a a terrific show. And I think with the fact of the matter of the uh, regulations coming into view now, July is not that far away, uh, it's time to revisit that. So why don't you give us a quick recap of the new CMS rules for our listeners who may have missed our last show? Well, back in December of 2008, the federal government passed a requirement that all bodily injury claim payments made after uh, 7-1-2009 would be reported to CMS. Uh, This includes MedPay, no-fault, workers' comp, and bodily injury payments. And the only thing the bill said was that the Secretary of Health and Human Services could decide how that would be done. And by the way, it will be all payments after 7-1-2009. 7-1-2009. The bill didn't really give the insurance industry much in the way of understanding of what they would be required to develop. So let's talk a little bit about that date. You're talking about the requirement that claim offices, when they settle claims, liability claims, need to report that to CMS. Yes. Any payment after 7-1-2009 will be reported to CMS if it's a settlement judgment award on a liability claim or a 
even if you had an ongoing workers' comp claim, if you paid a, a bill after 7-1-2009, you would need to report that one. And I assume, uh, Peter, that there's a reporting form that is util- utilized to do that? You ins- assume incorrectly, Larry. <laughs> there is no form. So is it up to individual claim offices to determine how they're going to report that information, or is there certain data fields that are required by CMS to be reported? In our discussions with CMS, they first started with a handful of data fields. They're now up over 100 data fields that insurance industry and self-insureds will have to fulfill for the uh, benefit of CMS. So, Peter, then the communication between the industry and CMS... um Is the status of that going smoothly for our industry or not? Well, we are communicating at AIA on behalf of the industry. We have met with them or representatives of CMS over six times, and we've had numerous phone calls and emails. We continue to try to educate them as to the complexity of the property casualty industry. They they come at it from a group health standpoint, and they really don't understand most of what we do. So the communication is, shall we say, a little difficult? It's one's way. <laughs> <laughs> well, wasn't there something called a comment period that ended on September 30th? What, what was the response from CMS to all that? We at AIA and numerous other parties filed comments with regards to their uh, instructions that they released in August. When I was here in June... We anticipated they would release the instructions in July. They didn't make that date. They released them in August, and we commented. We pointed out some of the problems with what they had uh, decided. And I know from discussions with CMS that their response to our comments were completed in early November, but they have yet to be released. And when they are released, we're going to have a period of 30 more days to comment on their comments. So... We continue to have this back and forth ping pong going on. So it is frustrating in general for the industry? Yes, it is, because they see the 7-1-2009 date coming up. It's very close. Very close. And they also know that there's penalties involved in this. They're fearful of that. They haven't got clear instructions on exactly what data uh, they need to send in. And the fluidity is such that in discussions with CMS, it seems to change weekly, if not nightly. So the concerns that the industry would have with CMS's regulations, the new, the new things coming down the pike, let's see if we can clarify those. My understanding is if that a claim office does not report a settlement, there's a penalty, a daily penalty of, of substantial dollars. Tell us about that. The penalty is $1,000 a day per claim file. And I do think at some point in time, not initially, but at some point in time, CMS will review who is reporting and who who is not reporting. They have the ability to know who the insurers are in the property casualty industry from information from the National Association of Insurance Commissioners. And far be it for me to suggest that an insurer ignore this, but if they were to ignore this, it would be very easy for CMS to determine that they aren't getting any reports from a given insurer. Well, and I'm approaching this really from a listener in our audience that may be a claim handler. Uh, That person is sitting there and ostensibly after July will be reporting settlements to CMS, and I am assuming one of those data elements might be the social security number of the claimant, which CMS is then going to receive that information, 
and ostensibly will try to match that Social Security number with any prior Medicare payments that have been made on a lien basis that should be paid back. Is that is that really the essence of it all? That's one, to try to collect back conditional payments. The other would be if it was a liability settlement, they may take a holiday on paying any future medical for that particular beneficiary, knowing that he re- or she received a large sum of money. And therefore, they don't have to pay for ongoing medical that is a result of that settlement. So we're really not talking about setting up a Medicare set-aside trust in that instance. It's just simply reporting, and then Medicare maybe say, I'm, I'm not going to pay anything in the future for this individual because of the monies they received. Almost kind of a Medicaid scenario where, they, where they're disqualified from getting some things in the future. That's going to be quite complex and quite interesting. Uh, what about these little nuances and surprises emerging that we keep hearing about? Any Anything on the gossip trail there that you're hearing about? Well, um, as I said, I've been having numerous conversations and one of the concerns we have right now is CMS has had some discussion most recently about asking property casualty insurers to report their last five years of closed workers' comp claims. Because under workers' comp, you have an ongoing responsibility and they do not want to accept that. The other thing that has was mentioned yesterday on a call was that they have not settled on the WCIO fields, which they published in August 1st. Uh, I know that the Insurance Service Office, ISO, is build, building a plan to revamp their system to include the WCIO tables. If you tell us August 1st of last year that you're going to use WCIO tables and then in February of this year say we may not, it's very hard for an organization to plan their technology project. And so for someone who's not familiar with that terminology, what does WCIO? WCIO codes for bodily injury parts so that they will know what you paid for and they can see what bills are coming in in those same body parts. So why is CMS dragging their feet on that type of thing if, if this process is so close to officially beginning and fines taking place? Why would they not have that worked out at this point? I think there are two reasons, Joan. One is that they had to also put into effect group health plan reporting as of January 1st this year. So they devoted all their focus on that and really didn't focus on the non-group health plans, which the property casualty insurance industry is. Two, they have found that this is a much more complex industry than the group health plan industry. (laughs) Surprise. Are are all these reporting requirements, are they going to be mandatory? Well, as a technology friend of mine said, if it's not mandatory, you don't build it. So for the most part, we are going to build only the mandatory fields. That's interesting. I happen to know that everyone talks about when they see something online, they have to fill in a form. If it says optional, they don't put it in. You know, that's, there you go. And is every claimant going to be subject to these rules? Only claimants over 65. And that's a little bit of a difference than people that are involved in some of the other prior CMS issues, such as Medicare set-asides or Medicare secondary payer. You only need to report settlements, judgments, or awards to people over 65 or payments to people over 65. Okay, that's a that's a an, an interesting twist that even I wasn't aware of. So is it going to become one of those, is it age 65 as of 
July for as of the date of settlement, or are they? What if they become sixty five in three days? I mean, where's where does that? You can see the craziness that can that can occur here. So if somebody is sixty five at the time of a settlement, the that claim needs to be reported to CMS. But if the person's twenty six, you wouldn't have to report that claim settlement to even though. They may have some condition or some issue where Medicare may have had a lien in the past. I don't even know why a 26-year-old, but maybe a disability or a Social Security issue would have arisen. This is one of the concerns the industry has, Larry, that we only have to report people who we make payments to that are over 65. On the other hand, when you accept a workers' comp claim, you accept the medical for the entire life of the person if it's related to that claim. And that's why they discussed going back five years of closed claim. Technically speaking, right at this moment, the way the rules are written, if you had a construction accident where someone broke their hip at age 45 and healed, went back to work, most companies in our industry would close that claim at some point in time. But if at age 70... A doctor says, you know, that fractured hip of yours needs to be replaced with a hip replacement. Theoretically, that is an ongoing responsibility that CMS will say technically goes back to the claim of 35 years prior. And so the workers' comp carriers are wrestling with this right now because some of them have said, well, based upon the way you're writing these rules, we can never close a claim. So uh, I'm a little confused here. We have, we know that the official date is July 1st, but with issues like that pending or unanswered, how effective is July 1st really going to be? Well, July 1st is going to be the date that the technology people are going to have to start bucketing up the claim payments from that date on. Whether CMS is going to be ready to test with an individual company and start passing data back and forth remains to be seen. So so overall, the industry should not be concerned with some of these questions that we have because the bottom line is they begin reporting whether every form is completed online that they might like to see completed. They do report no matter what these other nuances are that may not be answered. They will not report live data until sometime during the fourth quarter of 2009. Should they're, they save the data till then? Well, it strikes, yes. it strikes me that what, they're, what CMS is trying to do is collect all the data and then kind of take a look at it and see, for example, how big the issue is, how big the problem is, how big the numbers are, so that they may come up with a rule that says, you know what, there's so many claims here, we don't have the manpower. We'll, say, we'll set a threshold that any liability claim over $250,000, for example, mm-hmm. will be reported, but anything below that may not. So they're going to develop that on the fly as they begin to analyze the data. Is that your impression? Well, they're talking about a threshold right now. They had a meeting last Friday to discuss internally a threshold. Uh, Yesterday's call, which was February 5th, uh, they indicated that they may have a threshold for liability, but they're less likely to have a threshold for workers' comp. That presents a problem to the industry because a lot of the comp claims are med-onlys. They're less than $5,000. And typically, you don't get the Social Security number and date of birth of these med-only bills that you're paying. And this is new work that you would be infusing into the 
process. What about these guarantee funds? Uh, there's some confusion, I, I understand, about the guarantee funds. How are they affected? There's confusion about a lot of things besides guarantee funds, but anybody who makes a bodily injury payment under a plan of insurance is subject to these rules. So it could be the guarantee funds. It could be the guarantee funds. Uh, the property casualty industry subsidizes the guarantee funds, and they tend to have very little in the way of technology. So they they have reached out to us and talked to us a little bit about it. But to give you an example of how confusing this is for everyone, the United States Navy reached out to us and asked if they were su- subjected to these rules. Wow. And what we did is we passed the contact over to CMS and said, yeah, I think you better talk to your fellow federal employees here. Yeah, exactly. I would imagine you, you, you would think that learning the details of these new rules is going to be quite a complex and long process. It's going to require seminars and people really getting delving into the details. Well, the details are all going to be in the user manual, and the user manual is to be released this month. We, we but know, since we know we how clear those are written, right? <laughs> since we have not received a response to our comments that were written in November, I would be surprised if we see a user manual this month. Um, they will be ongoing computer-based training available based upon the user manual. So who is really going to be the main educator of all these new rules? If, if for example, the U.S. Navy came forward asking a question, who do you see as the party or parties out there that may be the ones responsible for communicating this? I'm a claims guy, Joan, and I think ultimately it's going to be done one-on-one between an adjuster, a claimant, a plaintiff attorney, and maybe perhaps an insurance agent or a salesperson in the insurance industry. The adjusters will learn first, and they'll partake their knowledge by refusing to pay claims without social security numbers and dates of birth. Mm -hmm. And ultimately, everybody will start talking about this as to what's going on and it will be a, almost like a word of mouth. CMS has indicated they will write letters to various constituencies, and they are willing to participate in some broad seminars. Uh, they've been invited to participate at the CPCU Society annual meeting mm-hmm. in Denver this year. So well, that could help. That could that help. Be a helpful. Little. Yeah. Well, do you, do you see do you see individual claim organizations and companies concentrating on how they're going to be affected or? Should this really be a broader picture as in an industry sense? Right now, Larry, my sense is everybody is looking very internally. They are not looking at the re- anybody other than themselves. They're trying to figure out how it's going to affect them. Me. Yeah, right. exactly. And that could mean uh, you know, just setting up the procedures and the processes. They want to avoid, I'm sure, these $1,000 a day penalties uh, for noncompliance if, if those come into play. they Most companies have complex claim systems now that adjusters don't complete all the information in them. <laughs> and so to add more another layer of complexity and to make sure that they're doing their jobs, it's a training issue, it's a systems issue, it's an auditing issue, so it's, it crosses many boundaries. Well, we have a CRS system at Ringler that we can't even figure out yet, so it's going to be interesting. Let me take a short break right now. Uh, And in about a minute, we'll come back, Peter, and talk more about these new CMS rules because I guarantee our audience is going to be interested in hearing the last part of this show. We'll take a break. This is Ringler Radio. Legal information, trends, and topics from Ringler Associates, the undisputed leader in structured settlements for more than 30 years. Since 1975, 
Wrangler Associates has provided the finest structured settlement services to injured parties and their attorneys. Experience counts. Over 140,000 cases structured. This is Ringler Radio. From Ringler Associates, placing more than $20 billion in structures over the past 30 years. And one of the few companies that truly enjoys the trust of all parties in the settlement process. This is Ringler Radio. Celebrating three years on the Legal Talk Network with topics important to the legal community. Did you know you could download Ringler Radio to your iPod? Just go to iTunes and subscribe to Ringler Radio. It's free. Did you know the number of listeners to Ringler Radio doubled in 2008? Thanks to our loyal listeners and welcome to all our new listeners as well. Welcome back to Ringler Radio. I'm your host, Larry Cohen, along with my colleague and co-host, Joan Pagnano from Braintree, Massachusetts, and our guest, Peter Foley, the Vice President of Claims Administration for the American Insurance Association. Peter, will the broader legal community be ready for this change? All the plaintiff lawyers, the defense lawyers, are they going to be, typically, they're the ones that learn about things last because it's usually a claim-oriented issue. I hope so, Larry, because otherwise... It's going to create an awful lot of frustration, and there are a lot of implications that could flow from this. Now, we don't know what's going to happen, so I prefer not to speak about possible implications, but everyone I meet has an opinion, and so I think that it will be very confusing at first. Well, I think one of the, one of the elements in the legal community is going to be, you know, there's going to be a claim individual that's going to come into a settlement or a mediation and and talk about how the certain things need to be done or certain things need to be settled or certain rules need to be followed and a claim and a plaintiff attorney may not even be aware of that and he may he may do things to the detriment of his client without even knowing about it if he doesn't have the rules down so this education process this and your organization is going to be really a part of this is going to be critical to having people understand once the rules are in place what they are CMS has indicated to us that one of the reasons they want us to make sure that we pass back the beneficiary's name correctly and the attorney's name is that the first letter is going to go to the attorney and the attorney is going to be asked to reimburse CMS. (laughs) And if they haven't taken into consideration CMS's interest, they are subject to the same thing the insurance companies are. If we don't take in their interest, we would have to pay the claim again. And the plaintiff attorney would be subject, subject to that to also. Wow. So. so overall then, can you suggest to us a, the best way that we might want to prepare for uh, this adjustment that's coming July 1st? And, and, and I'm going to add a little bit more to that question. In, in, is part of preparing for it, destruction settlements work into that role? As a speaking as someone who handled liability claims for 35 years, I think many times plaintiff attorneys present to you the possibility of future medical. I think in the future, when the plaintiff attorney presents the possibility of future medical, an alarm bell should go off in the claims adjuster's head and say, well, I have to take into consideration that we have a duty to protect Medicare's interest, maybe I need a structured settlement. Now, the 
second part of that is, as the data set is currently constructed, it requires insurance companies to report what the beneficiary will get, not what the financial cost to the company is. And therefore, I think there'll be an in, there'll be an interest from an insurer standpoint in the guaranteed payout types of annuities, so that they can plug in to CMS. We spent a million dollars up front, and we purchase a structure that's going to pay out a million dollars. Therefore, we're reporting to you two million. Where, when in fact, their financial books would suggest they settled it for a different number. Mm-hmm. Okay. Well, the, you know, and that whole issue of uh, lifetime annuities and how those yields magnify the, the the potential look of the claim have to be measured back against the guarantees, and 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 so that has to be sorted out. I'm sure your organization is working with CMS to try to get that rule squared away. Well, when they first released it, they didn't say which way they wanted. <laughs> well, you know, we want we want to have it the way that encourages the use, not not just for our industry, which is obvious, but also for the benefit of claimants as as well. And, and also, let's talk about again. You talk about the plaintiff attorney getting this information. If a claim is settled and the claimant gets the funds and dissipates those funds on things other than the medical that maybe they were required for, let's say without a structure in place. You're saying that Medicare could go back to that plaintiff attorney and say, you owe us that money. So they're going to be pretty cognizant of what's going on, I would assume. That's, I, that gets their attention. I would think so. Well, what's the best place to get the proper information on all these new MSA regs? The frustration is that the regs will be released in what's called the user guide, currently scheduled to be released in February. What is available right now is a commentary that was released August 1st on the M and you can get it on the CMS website and an updated interim data reporting document that was released December 8th on their website. And that updated interim reporting document was the result of conversations AIA and the insurance service offices had with CMS after they released their first data reporting requirement. Well, kind of to wrap this up, what do you think is going to happen between now and July 1st? And, and what are you recommending people do about about anything between now and then? What's going to happen? Do you, do you envision enough of, a, of an involvement of CMS and your organization and others like yours to, to have better regulations by the 1st? Or are we still going to be in this collection mode of, of information? I think that the registered reporting entities which are insurance plans, will have registered. There will have been someone assigned to them to create a project plan, to create a test of sending data from their entity over to um, CMS. I also believe that the, the there will be education broadly throughout the industry by that point in time. You're starting to see a few seminars pop up, but I don't understand how you can have a seminar talking about what is required when they haven't locked down what is required. Well, I, I think that's part of what we're all trying to get at here to wrap this up is, is exactly how do we prepare properly for this whole thing. And you know something, Peter? Don't, over, don't ever underestimate the uh, capacity of organizations to try to step into that breach and say, we're going to be the seminar people. We're going to be the people to teach. And I'm sure a cottage industry is arising as we speak to help people understand this better, even though the rules may not even be out there yet. 
I agree, Larry, and I, I and I refrain from commenting, but <laughs> I, I do think the most important thing anybody can do is to sign up for the listserv that's available on the Medicare secondary payer website, which alerts you to changes that are on the website. Sometimes they're not easy to find, but you can go out that they'll send you an email and you can go out there and see what has been released by CMS on a daily basis. They'll send you a note and you can follow it. A lot of, if you, if you would like to get a flavor of it, you can look at the group health side of their website. A lot of the things that they're doing with group health will be similar to what they do with us. Well, that's good advice. I think, and I, I would I would advise our audience to look into those websites. And uh, actually, you could Google. I think a lot of this, and you'll come up with some sources of information. And certainly, when you Google, you'll come up with some companies willing to help you find it. That's for sure. Well, if someone in the audience wanted to contact you, Peter, uh, or, or get in touch with you, what, what's the best way to do that? I can be reached by my email, pfoley at aiadc.org. And my phone is one two zero two eight two eight seven one five four. And Joan, how about yourself? I can be reached also through email, and that address would be j p a g n a n o at ringlerassociates.com or at my office, which would be seven eight one eight three zero one zero one zero. Well, you know you can always reach Ringler Associates on the ringlerassociates.com website. You can also download these shows, as I said before, on ringlerassociates.com. So I'd like all of you to try to do that. I think this is enlightening. And as we go through the process, Peter, I have a funny feeling going to be back here again (laughs) before (laughs) long because this thing is in flux. So in the meantime, I'm Larry Cohen, your host. Now go out and make it a great day. Thanks for listening to Ringler Radio. Ringler Associates, experience counts. Since 1975, Ringler Associates has provided the finest structured settlement services to injured parties and their attorneys. Ringler Radio is made possible in part by the life markets that issue structured settlement annuities, including Allstate, American General Structured Settlements, The Hartford, Liberty Life, MetLife, New York Life, John Hancock, and Prudential. Prudential.